If you would please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Please follow in the reading of the most holy word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come before you begging you to teach. Strengthen us in this inner man that Christ may dwell in each of us, that we would know the miraculous love that is Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us to be overwhelmed by your presence as we watch you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine in each of our souls. In Christ's name, amen. We've been going through this letter dealing with it in its completeness. And we looked at in chapter 1 and the chapter 2 and the first half to chapter 3 of the identity of a Christian. Who are we in Christ? I mean, I can give you, oh, well, I've been saved by the blood. I've been born again. And you get all that stuff, and that's great. God bless you. But who are you in Christ? Do you understand who you are in Christ? And that's what the Apostle Paul's doing. He starts out in chapter 1 and says, God came up with a plan before the foundations of the earth. Before He made existence. Before He ever created time. But that's going to be hard for you to get your head wrapped around. So in chapter 1, verse 18, he prays that we can get a handle on it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Then he jumps back into it and shows you how it practically is going to affect each and every one of us at different positions in our lives. And then all of a sudden he realizes, you know what? I need to get back into this again. So the first part of chapter 3, he goes back over it again. And he says, I want you to understand the riches that are every Christian. And he uses a word there that's just quarter. It's just, I don't know, it just freaks me out. It's according to his riches. Now then, one time he says it's according to the riches of his mercy. So I'm going to ask you a question. How much mercy does God have? Because that's what it's according to. Oh, it's according to the riches of his mercy. It's according to the riches of his grace. Oh, did I forget? It's according to the riches 
of God. It's glory. How much glory does God have? So Paul says, I go boldly and confidently in prayer. Why? Because it's according to his wealth. Now, I have been walking with the king for about 35 years. Okay, I've been a pastor for 24 years. And I still am stunned by the number of people that I deal with that have no comprehension of this. They know they're saved. Hallelujah. I got an eternal life insurance policy. But when I think about it, and then we're moving into this text, for this reason I bow my knees. Why? That you guys would take this information and utilize it. I shared with you guys and I've, over again. Where I grew up is, is, is in uh, southwestern Ohio. And you just every year you went to the Indianapolis 500. At that time, when I lived back there, the, the big mark was 200 mile an hour. You know, 205, 210, stuff like that. And you see some of these cars down there and you're like, wow, man, look at that car. But you know what? That car can't do nothing if you don't turn it on. I see a lot of Christians who are these high-performance machines that are standing there and have not turned that engine on. I mean, I love the Lord. I love His Word. I love to be around Christians. It's totally awesome. But the Broncos are playing tonight. And I, that is amazing to me. It is amazing to me. That's why he went with boldness and confidence. These first three chapters, he's telling us how rich you are just because you're a Christian. Just because you're a Christian. Now he's praying that this riches that you, he's exposed to you and that he has prayed that you understand. He prays, now use the riches. Use the riches. At least once in each of these three chapters, Paul reiterates how rich we are. It's always according to the wealth of God. So hang whatever word you want. It's according to the wealth of God. How much love? You see what I mean? How how much holiness? How much mercy? How much grace? What's his bank account? Does he have a limit? Listen, it ain't no good to be rich if you're not willing to use it. I mean, really? That's kind of goofy if you think about it. God in the ages right now is coming and he is pouring out exceeding riches of his grace and kindness to us. And there is absolutely no limit to those riches in Christ Jesus. But it's like the best Christmas gift you could ever get. It's been given to you and it means so much to you. You just keep it wrapped and I'll hide it in the closet. I don't know what it is, but it's got to be good, right? But I'll save it. 
but I'll save it. Told you when I first trip that I took to Russia, I met a pastor there who had preached under the communist. Big guy, big Slavic guy. His hands, all I remember, his hands are massive and he didn't have a neck. Just great big man. Okay? I mean, his fingers was probably as big as my wrist. They seem like it anyway. And you're like, well, oh, dude, he shook your hand. You're like, gosh, I hope I get that back. And, and so I remember sitting and talking to him and I said, now that you have this freedom, what is the greatest blessing that you have seen in all of this freedom? This massive human being who had preached under the communists started crying. Tears started running down his face. He said, that I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. It's Ephesians 1. And I sat there for a second and you're like, what? He says, you don't understand. All I possessed for 20 years was the gospel of Luke. I didn't even know there was the letter to the Ephesians. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's a man who had the resources and had no realization of the resources. This text, this context that we're in right now, 14 to 21, is uh, progressive. It is basically in the original language, five purpose clause. Everybody goes, yay, cool. Okay, purpose clause means, okay, because of this purpose, here's the action. Okay, but they build on each other. Okay, this isn't the best out of five. Okay, it goes step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And it starts off with one that I have seen decline in the church in the United States. Okay, that one, inner strength. Inner strength. That's the first purpose clause. Second one is after you have that inner strength, then you will understand the indwelling Christ. Once you've got the indwelling Christ, then you're going to start getting a handle on miraculous love. And then when you move from miraculous love, you're going to move into infinite fullness. And then the internal power is released. And you start doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or ask. Okay? We must understand this as Christians. It is not until we have the inner strength that the indwelling Christ will take up residence in a position of comfort and His miraculous love will overwhelm us and His miraculous love will show us the infinite fulfillment of God in us and that is the internal power that comes forth and you will step into chapter 3 verse 20 which is lacking in the body of Christ. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we Ask or think according to the power that works within us. Let me give you an example of that. This group doesn't know. You guys know my background. You know where I came from. You know how I ended up where I did. I had an altar call and a prison cell. Okay, and I'll just leave it at that. A number of years ago, they asked me if I would join with a group of men to invest into... Russian pastors and show them how to rightly divide truth. 
So they were teaching stuff like hermeneutics and homiletics and exegetics and st- I don't know what those are. And they said, well, you want, and I said, no. And I said, I'll do Romans. All right. And Corinthians. All right. All right. They do good. It was good. How, how about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? All right. I'm, I'm in. Okay. So I went and I did all these trips, you know, two weeks at a time. And we started teaching these Russian pastors. We had several different locations in Russia. And the reason we were teaching them is that we want you to do what we're doing to other people. To your people. To other pastors. To brothers and sisters. You know what they call that? It's a deep theological term. Did you know what it is? Discipleship. (laughs) It's an interesting concept, actually. And, you know, I didn't think about it. I'm an old biker, druggy dude who got saved by being drugged. And I mean, like, down the road, drugged. Okay? So I'm teaching these pastors. Okay, that we started in uh, 99, I think it was, or 2000. No big deal. I love these people. I stay in contact with them. Uh, It's great. You know what I found out recently? Those people we taught, okay, some of them were Russian Jews. And they migrated back to Israel. Guess what they're doing in Israel? Same thing we did. But you know what they have an advantage of? The Jews will listen to them because they know they were persecuted. They won't listen to me. I've been to Israel. They ain't going to listen to me. I had a bus driver said, well, they say you're a pastor. Why aren't you trying to get me saved? And I said, I can't save nobody. And they won't listen because you live in comfort. Them Russian guys didn't. And so we invested in those Russian guys, and now they moved to Israel. And you know what that means? When the gospel went forth in Acts to all the world, it is, guess what? Coming back. You know what that means? This race is about over. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. That is far exceedingly abundantly beyond whatever I could think or imagine. I thought I'd be sharing the gospel with bikers. Now grab a hold of that. I like to say, you know, I woke up and I think we can get Israel saved if we go through Russia. No, man. I went where people wanted to hear what the book had to say. When you have that strength in the inner man, you start grasping what does it mean to have the indwelling Christ. You understand that miraculous love that He held Him on the cross at Calvary. You understand the infinite fulfillment and fullness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in every believer. That is what Paul is getting at here. So he starts this thing. He bowed his knees. That's a sign of reverence and majesty to God the Father and humbleness in every family in heaven and earth. And everybody says, well, that's universalism. No, it doesn't say the family of hell. It says the family of heaven and earth. That would be the believers that are here and those who have exit stage left. And then it's where we derive our names. Why? We are children of the king. That he would grant to you there in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. Okay, all right. How much glory has he got? 
That is to the degree that He would grant you. What would He grant you? That you would be strengthened through His Spirit where? The inner man. Listen. I have been in Azerbaijan. I have been in Georgia. I have been in churches in Azerbaijan and Georgia and Russia. I have been in churches in England and I have been in churches in Israel. And this is essential to the life of the church. Strengthened in the inner man. All right. In America today, I'm not sure about this. I'm just not really sure about it. This is step one. This is step one. And it has to begin here. You have to to want to know and experience the power of God in your life. Some of us in this room, we've had that. Poof! Oh, whoa! I remember I was wore out. I had been traveling. I I was in Russia uh, in in a little church there. And I was in a state of... I didn't have any idea where I was going. I had not slept on something that wasn't moving in uh, about 40 hours. Okay, so you're just sort of in a state. And they said, well, we want you to preach. And you're like, what? <laughs> I can't tell you what my name is. So I preached on something that I have a great passion for. And it's the second coming of Christ. And I preached on this thing. Why? Because it was in my head. I knew where it was. I knew how to get around it. And, and that's what I preached on because it's just his favorite part of me. I thought, ooh, he's coming. All right, so I preached it. Okay. When I got done, this Russian lady, a babuska, she comes to me, a grandmama. She comes to me and she's weeping. And she says, that is always questioned. I have always questioned that. I had no understanding of that. And I had asked God to help me to understand it. And he, she, he sent me an American to explain it. He said, I have no money. And she gave me a bag of eggs that she got from her chickens. Okay, and the only reason that I preach that text is because it's dear to me, and I'm just going to do that one, okay? And yet he did exceedingly beyond it, and I experienced what it means to see the power of God in my life. How many have ever experienced that? You guys who know me know there's always a second question, right? (laughs) I always ask, how many have experienced it? How often? How often have you experienced that? Have you lived a life that you doesn't seem to have any resolution? With your problems, personal problems. Do you just seem to have so many hassles in your life and none of them ever seem to come to an end? At your home? Your job? Your neighbors? When you are challenged with an incredible opportunity for God, do you feel like, nah, I can't do that? Well, I'll try to do my best. That is not the way our Lord works. I would say that everybody who is here 
would want to be an example of Christ to somewhere. Maybe my home. Maybe I have a mixed family. Maybe my job. You guys who are in school, maybe in school, I want to be an example to my classmates of Christ. But you struggle. Paul talks about it in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. There are those who are weak. There's theirs who are faint-hearted. And he's talking about believers. So many Christians never get to Ephesians 3.20. Many that I've run into don't even know what it is to have God do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could think or imagine. But let me tell you something. It's not God's fault. I've read the first three chapters of this and I see what He's already given each and every believer in my identity in Christ, that I am in the body of Christ. I am the representative of the kingdom of God here to a lost and dying world. And He's given me all the resources I need to shine brightly that the world goes, Whoa! The energy is there. The resources are there. The riches are there. The wealth is there. All we need to do is turn it on. Some of you are wanting to run the race and you just get behind the car and start pushing. But by golly, I'm determined. I. It's there. Turn it on. And it's a sad thing when I see Christians as I see in the rest of the world, suffer from weak inner man. That's what this prayer is. He wants you to be overcomers. The inner man is the real issue, if you think about it. We have weak inner man. Our, our inner man is weak. Every one of us, every man born of Adam and Eve is, has a weak inner man. We suffer from frustration. We have mental stress. We have emotional stress. We have strains that are just pulling us and yanking us every different direction. When you have those, <laughs> somebody just, I remember hearing it. You guys know Wayne Barber, some of you. He's been here, but Wayne said, he says, it makes for a spiritual imbalance. And I was like, Wayne, that's about as great as understatement I've ever heard in my life. We expect the lost to lose the battle of the inner man. The lost have uh, great control over sin, don't they? So they've lost the battle of the inner man. But I always look at it and say, well, they have no resource to control it. They can't do anything about the inner man. They like to express the inner man. And sometimes they go beyond our laws to do it. What feels good, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I remember when we made medical marijuana legal here in Colorado. And I remember the guy who had forced the bill through. And they were saying that I was selling some parts up at Greeley, a swap show, uh, motorcycle parts. 
I had a booth up there. And right across from me was a medical marijuana booth. Okay? And they had some guy who said he was a doctor and some scantily clad woman giving out free samples. And I'm sitting there looking at all this stuff that I'd hauled in, motors and wheels and frames and all the rest of it. I said, I could have just brought Doritos. And it's lighter. And I'm sitting there watching this guy a month or so later, and he says, well, I cannot believe that someone would actually abuse medical marijuana. What planet are you from? Why? It's the inner man. It has great benefit. Yep, it makes Doritos taste awesome. Loss can't deal with the inner man. I don't expect any more from that. Those are people without Jesus Christ. They have no resources to even think about controlling the inner man. But then on the other side of that thing, I have to ask about Christians. Now listen, you're not going to believe this. But sometimes... Christians find themselves where they can't control the inner man either. Did you know that? You'd have never dreamed that, would you? I know no Christian has ever been aggravated in traffic, right? (laughs) Yeah. Not right now. I'm not in it. (laughs) Okay. So, if you want to be aggravated in traffic, ride a motorcycle. Then you'll sit there and go, Lord, where's the fire and the brimstone thing? You've never, Christians have never struggled with their thoughts. They've never struggled with words. They've never struggled with their deeds. Right? All right. Christians never ignore God's leading. They never ignore God's resources. But then I think then I would have to say, if you are in that position, I would have to say, and you never believed that you were deceived. It happens very often to Christians, brothers and sisters. Very, very often. Let me give you some examples. One of the best texts I ever taught, I've taught this in many countries. It is the battle that a Christian is in. It's out of James chapter 1, 14 to 16. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Did you get that? I'm not enticed by your lust. Did you know that? It happens to my lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, I watch a lot of people do spiritual yoga on that and says, well, that means that if you get into a certain sins, that's not what it says, but if certain sins, it'll kill you. Truly, certain sins will kill you. That ain't what that text says. This text says, you will have a spiritual death if you let your lust drive you to sin. Okay, it does not mean you lose your salvation. It means you are spiritually useless. You have no point. You know what they call it, where I come from? You're taking up space. And that's all you get. And the reason that I say that is the next verse. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 
So who's he talking to? Christians. Christian, listen, we have a whole industry in this country that is to entice you. It's called advertising. We want, you need this. You got to have one. You ought to have two. You should have one for each hand. And what happens is that that gives way, that temptation, that lust gives way. And the next thing you know, guess what? You've fallen into sin. And at that point in time, you're spiritually dead. You couldn't listen. I have had chances to deal with young people who are getting married. And they'll say, we want you to do our, mar- my, our marriage. And I said, okay. And I said, can we meet with you? Yes, sir, Chris, yes, yes, come meet. And they said, so I, they sit down in my office and they tell me how much they love each other and how wonderful it is. And God has brought them together and this, that, and the other. And then they said, you got any questions? I said, I got one. What is it? Have you had sex? And you all, they all, you see the blood leaving there. I was like, one, I only got one question. Why? Because if you have, you have no idea what God wants. So you might want to back up a square. I ain't saying that to hurt anybody, but what I'm saying is it's sin. And if you've got sin, then you've got a problem with your spiritual life. Listen, the inner man, (laughs) the inner man is the real you, okay? I'm talking about the you that your spouse ain't even aware of some of them little things. Because I don't care who you are, oh, me and my wife, we, no, they don't. How many times your wife says, do these pants make my butt look big? Oh, no, darling, they look fine. Like two hogs in a bag. See, you're not going to tell the one you're loved with. Oh, man, that's, that's humongous. You're not going to do it. So the inner man is sitting there going, and see, she's already got him. <laughs> she's like... Come here. (laughs) And everybody looks at it and says, I can't believe he said that. But you know why? It's true. The inner man is that that is you, the real you, okay? The you that no one else knows the details. Now listen, I can look at you guys this morning and say, I can tell that we spend a lot of time on our outer man. We do, don't we? I have people come and say, did you pick out that tie? Yeah, why? It doesn't match. I don't care. (laughs) It was a dark closet. We take care of the outer man. We want to project whatever it is we project. I remember one time, well, it was that same uh, swap meet I was at up in Greeley. Uh, it was colder and bleak. Woo! The wind was blowing. We had snow flurries moving in and out and all the rest of it. And I had gone out to my trailer to get a part for a guy. And I come back out and this big old massive Ford truck steps out and, and this guy and gal get out of it, right? And, and, uh, they put on their chaps and everything 
to go into the swap meet. What are you doing? Well, I want you to think I rode up here. I can look at your hair in gale force winds and say, you didn't ride up here. But I just sat and looked at it and I was like, why? They're worried about the outer man. We all take care of that outer man. And you know what? Some people take really good care. You know what cosmetics is? I'm going to get in trouble. Watch this. <laughs> cosmetics comes from a Greek word. You know what the definition of the Greek word is? To bring order from chaos. Just thought you might want to know that. <laughs> and you know what? There's times I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful. We get up in the morning... We immediately identify with the outer man, right? We look in the mirror and say, oh, gee. We look in the mirror. And then then becomes the ritual. The women put their faces on and the men take their faces off. We do. You got to go shave and all that other stuff. And the women are whatever. There's great concern about our outer man. How do I look? I've had people who will come to me in my office unexpectedly and they'll come in. I've got flip-flops on, some holy jeans, a sleeveless t-shirt. And the first thing it says, is the pastor around? I say, yep, he is. <laughs> well, where is he? You're looking at him. You're the pastor? Sure. Well, you don't look like a pastor. What does a pastor look like? Because some most of you who know me says Terry don't worry a lot about the outer man. I've seen him. Right here, though, what the apostle Paul is dealing with is trying to minister to the inner man. Why? Have you ever thought about it from this perspective? How much time do I spend on the outer man, contrasted to spending on the inner man? The outer man is wonderfully prepared. And yet, I think about it, the real man, the real you, not the one that you try to project to people. You know, I'm dressed a certain way, I walk a certain way, I use certain terminologies. The real you, the person that is the spirit and soul part of you that part listen that's the part that needs to be strengthened think about what we do for exercises some of you know i have some health issues so i have to be at the gym five times a week and they want me to eat this really weird stuff that i sometimes revolt against and they measure me once a month they measure me make sure my my belly's going down and my Arms are getting bigger. My neck's getting bigger. I got certain parts they want bigger and certain parts they want smaller. And they do that. And I still have to do this thing five. They want me five times a week. And I. But I see some of the people who are in there. And they're crazy. You know, I eat asparagus six times a day. I don't know, man. That sounds nuts to me. 
the Bible teaches us that physical exercise profits some. Some. Some of your translations may even say little. But yet I see people who are obsessed with it. And it seems to be a growing thing that there's an obsession with running and walking and bicycling and, and all of this other stuff. I don't, I don't understand why we make bicycle paths because they all use the highway. I don't get that. But the, you see it. You see the obsession with it. And as you get older, I have to go with Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle said, had I known I'd lived this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. Okay. If we could get those people to spend half the time on the inner man, what a revolution we would have. We should be preoccupied with the inner man. It should become an obsession. The Apostle Paul was obsessed with in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 or chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Okay, what he's talking about is he's been through the grist mill, buddy. I mean, he's been in prison. He's been in trouble in, in, in the country. He's been in trouble in the city. The Jews hate him. The Gentiles hate him. And they're trying to kill him everywhere he turns around. And other than that, it's not really too bad. He says, but we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. The for momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. See, Paul understood that death was working on his outer man. Listen, I don't care how old you are. We've got some young people here today. We've got some older people here today. Uh, I don't care how old you are. You are in the process of decaying. Uh, I've had people come to me and said, uh, you know, I think I want to marry this woman. She's, she's sweet and all the rest of them. He says, what, what advice would you give me? I says, go look at her mother. And we go, what? Yeah, go look at her mother. That's what it will turn into. And I'm hoping at some point they get it. Well, then I should look at the internal part of it. Yeah, there you go. Okay, because you're going to fall apart. She's going to fall apart. The out. We spend so much time on the outer man that we're missing the inner man. We spend time on the temporary man and not the eternal man. And it's falling apart day by day. Paul was never preoccupied with the outer man. Okay? See, God delivers fresh strength to the inner man moment by moment, day by day. And that is growth in our spiritual life. And you can take care of this thing. You know, they're trying to get my belly to go away. And I tell them, I put a lot of money to make that happen. Why do you want me to get rid of it? Well, but you just kind of, no. I invested a lot. 
Because you know what? I ain't taking this thing with me. I've got 62 years hanging out in this crazy thing. And right now, to be honest with you, there's days I'm ready. Bye! <laughs> I'll leave the carcass. But you know what I've learned? As I grow in my understanding and the strength in the inner man, there's less emphasis on the outer man. Now, because of pre-existing conditions, I need to keep my eyes intact. And part of eating right and everything is keeping my eyes working. And I'd like to keep all, all four limbs and a few other odds and ends. But, you know, what the hey? God delivers fresh strength at moment by moment to the inner man. And as you grow in that spiritual life, the outer man is being, or the inner man is being strengthened and it is being renewed every day. Paul told young Timothy in his last letter that he ever wrote, he was preparing uh, to meet his Lord face to face. His last chapter of his last letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me that through me the proclamation may be fully accomplished and that the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Nobody, everybody had abandoned him, he said. But guess what? The Lord stayed with him. Everybody that would have been around him to assist him would have been for the outer man. But the Lord stood with him in the inner man so he could continue his ministry of proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles. Paul was very aware of strengthening in the inner man. He was so aware that it was his preoccupation. It was his focus. The outer man decays. The inner man ascends and accelerates. As a Christian, as you get older... Now listen... As a Christian, as you get older, your outer man declines. And you know what? It cannot be avoided. The older, the further it declines. Yet, as a Christian, the older you get in Christ you are more renewed in the Spirit. It's really kind of cool if you think about it. The further away you come from your outer man, the less concerned you are about it. You picked that song that uh, I thought, wow, man, that's, that's, that's totally awesome. Who you say I am. As the outer man gets more worn out, my inner man becomes stronger and stronger. And then you get you you cross, I can't tell you where it's at, you cross a point. We are not really that concerned about the outer man. I mean you you <laughs> you, you, you you don't you know, some of us need to get the chaos put into order. But you make it. Okay? 
but you have more energy, more time for the inner man because you have understood 320 where it says he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could think or imagine. When you are saved, you grow away from the things of the outer. The outer important decreases. The inner important increases. Paul knew that the outer was perishing all the time. The inner man was also ascending to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his prayer. Why? I want you to be strengthened in the inner man. Kind of awesome if you think about it. Now then, I'm going to ask you, and I'll close with just this thought. How many times have you ever prayed, God, strengthen me in the inner man? Have you ever been into a conflict? Have you ever been to a situation, a pain, a problem, uh, a stress? And the outer man takes over on how do I deal with it? When it should be the inner man. Peace, peace. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the ruler of rest. That's strengthening in the inner man. Okay? That's the prayer. That is what the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer is capable of. We should pray. Father, I come before you, kind of overwhelmed at uh, at this section, and I feel so inadequate even trying to explain it. But Father, I know that your Spirit in your people is capable of even strengthening the inner man. So, Father, I lift these precious people called by your name. Father, I lift them to you. Father, they may know this strength, that they may understand the wealth of the mercies that they have, the wealth of the glory that they have, the wealth of the grace they have, the wealth of the riches in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, be overwhelmed by your presence in Christ's name. Amen.